0: Well, hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's Ron Bryce. He has served as a state representative with the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. He's an emergency room doctor and discussed with me about the operation of the body of Christ, likening it to the functioning of the human body. Plus, recently, the World Watch list released by Open Doors identified the countries which are the leading persecutors of Christians. You'll be hearing as David Curry from Open Doors outlines what the top 10 countries on the list are. Then it's Dean Nelson, a minister who serves with the Family Research Council and heads up the Douglas Leadership Institute. He brought some insight into a recent conference that highlighted the negative impact of abortion on the African-American community. Part of his report is coming up. And on this edition of The Intersection, it's Doug Hinnom. He has an extensive IT background and now uses his technological skills to help translate the Bible. He's with Wycliffe Bible Translators. You can find out how God is using technology to get His Word into the hearts and minds of people throughout the world. Finally, there's a new movie coming out that illustrates how two brothers respond to difficult times in their lives. Chris Dowling is the director and elaborated on plot points and themes from the film which has brothers Tim and Robbie Tebow as executive producers. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Dr. Ron Bryce serves as an emergency room physician in Dallas. He has served as the Texas representative for the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. He's also been on the state medical board. He offers insight into the body of Christ related to the human body in his book, Fingerprint of God, The Church as a Living Body from a recent conversation here's Ron Bryce To
1: me the the genetic code or DNA is such an awesome thing to study because it just shows God God's fingerprint on this earth if you for instance if you take the bob if you take the DNA of your in your body right now it's a it's a long chain of of a four-letter alphabet. It's actually a language. It's written in a language of four letters that are in different sequences for different people. And it it is microscopic. It's one molecule each just strung end to end. And this is almost beyond belief, but it's true. If you took all the DNA in your body right now and strung it end to end and uncoiled it, it would reach from the Earth to the moon and back 500,000 times. It's such a a long, detailed language, a book, a huge book that's written about you and your life. So I think people can take comfort in knowing that the author of the universe, the creator of all life, even before they were born, wrote their story, wrote their life, wrote their DNA, their genetic code, so that God obviously has a purpose for each one of us. He wrote a book on each one of us before we were even gone, uh, born, and it's our uh, genetic code. But the thing I go into, uh, uh, what, there are several aspects of life that I talk about, that the aspects of life, the attributes of life. That's what I call the fingerprint of God, is the, are the attributes of life. If the body of Christ has these attributes of life, then we ought to see parallels between our human bodies or other living bodies in the body of Christ. And one of these that I stumbled on for some time, I probably spent six or twelve months just trying to figure it out, was if our human bodies have a genetic code that that basically is a, a blueprint, what is the genetic code for the body of Christ? And one of the key scriptures that an aha moment for me was when I read about how Christ is the head of the body. And I always thought of the head as being the brain, but, you know, to look at the Greek and to research a little further, that word head uh, can be translated as the boss or the, the, the person in charge. And so I really believe that Christ, the Word, of all things Jesus Christ is called the Word in John chapter 1, the Word is the body of, uh, the genetic code or the written instructions for the body of Christ is found in the Bible, the Word of God. And so um, that's one aspect that I touch on, and I give some uh, arguments for that, and, uh, but there are uh, many, many attributes of life that we can see in, in revived, living, uh, effective churches. Uh, uh, that's just one aspect, hmm. is to, to understand that the Word of God is actually the genetic code for the body of Christ.
0: So as we conclude, I want to ask you to share what you would desire for people to take away from this book, Fingerprint of God, and how you see that it could shape the church once it gets a handle on this concept of being a living body, how that can perhaps change the church.
1: Well, I think it all goes back to one word, and I have one word that is my goal for this book, and that word is revival. And if you look at the word revival, the R-E, re means again, or to do it again, and vive, vive, comes from a Latin word meaning live, so revival means to live again. So my goal for the book and my desire of my heart, and what I feel the Lord is calling me to do, is to see revival, or to see the body of Christ live again, to have the attributes of life, the, the organic nature of the body of Christ come through and be effective, and we can be salt and light in the world rather than just relying on best business practices and marketing and marquee signs and and trying to do things that the world would do, we need to have the attributes of life so that we have revival.
0: Ron Bryce here on The Intersection. You can learn more by visiting the website FingerprintofGodBook.com. Well, next on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's the president and CEO of Open Doors USA, David Curry. He discussed with me the 2018 Open Doors World Watch List, identifying the nations who are the leading persecutors of Christians around the world. Here now from that conversation is David Curry.
2: Fundamentally, we're trying to build trust with North Korea, and, and there is no trust, but we'd like to see them part of the international community have human rights, these kinds of things, and not be a threat to to the security of the world, we're not going to have that unless we can get some insight into freedom of religious expression within that country.
0: Well, take us through the top 10. Again, North Korea is number one on the World Watch list. Take us through the top 10 and also highlight any significant changes that you've seen.
2: Absolutely, well, Afghanistan is number two, and it's it, as far as the scoring, the methods are different of persecution in Afghanistan, but the scores are really high you've got the Taliban controlling more territory over the last twenty four months uh, uh, within Afghanistan, and that's raised the pressure on the Christians that exist there are People who follow Jesus in Afghanistan, but it's a very dangerous thing to do. Somalia is number three. Somalia's tribal communities. Uh, Al shabaab is the is the name put upon the ISIS uh, affiliated terrorist group, and they dominate there. The government really only controls part of the capital, and some people wonder about that. So you have tribal communities where this terrorist group can. Attack and now, of course, they're attacking into Kenya. We saw that just 48 hours ago. Uh, that's a, a big issue. And, and in Somalia, if, if people accuse you of being a Christian, there are no trials, there are no labor camps like North Korea. You will just be killed. Uh, Libya is number four. A lot of instability in Libya. There aren't that many indigenous. Believers in Libya—you almost could count it on your your fingers and toes. That's a slight exaggeration, but not much. But there's been a big influx of uh, Christians from Africa that have come up into Libya, hoping to get out of uh, out of Africa into the West, and they've been stuck there through immigration problems. So you have these Christians from Africa who have been greatly persecuted in Libya by the lawlessness there and the terrorist groups that have a lot of strength. So number five is Pakistan. A lot of folks are aware of the blasphemy laws in Pakistan. Anyone can uh, claim that th- that uh, a Christian has blasphemed somebody and they would get life in prison and, and perhaps death or mob violence against them. It, and it's more than just that, but that gives us an insight into the very difficult situation for Christians in Pakistan. Sudan's number six a uh, 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 dictators lived there a long time has a radical agenda same with Eritrea it's not a country that people know a lot about but it's right there in Africa and it's ruled by Islamic extremists who are putting great pressure on churches and some of the things that define Eritrea and their inhumanity towards Christians is the way that they capture Christians and put them in shipping containers many of them die every year So these kinds of things are what make Eritrea number seven. Yemen is number eight. A lot of Christians have left because of the war that's going on there, civil war tearing it apart, but there is a strong remainder of Christians who are under great pressure. Iran is number nine. And the big shock is India at number 10. So as I walk through that, what you can see is countries from various parts of the world and totally different motives – In North Korea, you've got this authoritarian regime. They have all control. They want you to worship the leader. And then you have eight of the top ten have Islamic extremism as the driver, whether that's through the government or just through these unmonitored tribal areas like Libya and Somalia. But there's India. What's India doing on the list? That's a big surprise for people in the West because we think of it as a peaceful country. We do business with them. Everybody knows an Indian American that they love. But you know what? India has had for the last six years a radical Hindu government that is creating challenges for the 64 million plus Christians. They essentially have a nationalistic – and this differs from the other ones on the on the uh, top ten – Their nationalistic agenda says you are not an Indian citizen, truly, unless you're Hindu. So we have no space for Christians.
0: David Curry here on The Intersection. Find out more through the website opendoorsusa.org. Next, it's the chairman of the Douglas Leadership Institute, Dean Nelson. In our recent conversation, he shared an overview of the organization, highlighted parallels between the lives and principles of Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr., and pointed out the impact of abortion on the African-American community. From that conversation, this is Dean Nelson.
3: Well, you know, I think first and foremost, we should be speaking a message of reconciliation, that is, preaching the gospel and seeing people converted and reconciled to God. But when we get saved, if God has not immediately called us home, we then have to live in this life uh, as ambassadors for Christ. And I think as ambassadors for Christ... That message is that we have uh, a message that is not our own. We have a message that is eternal, and that is that you and I, despite maybe being uh, having different racial backgrounds or being born in a different place, that we're brothers. And I think that that message of, uh, uh, of respect for one another, that message of trust and uh, working together to see other people— first reconciled to God, but then reconciled to one another. You know, America is a great nation, but it's not a perfect nation. Our founders had this idea that we would be what moving towards a more perfect union. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it's this idea that we can advance forward becoming better. And if Jesus prayed the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven, that gives us a picture of what we should be trying to do while we still have our assignment here in this life.
0: Well, Dean Nelson joining us today from the Douglas Leadership Institute. Let's pivot now. There was a summit that was held in Washington, DC over the weekend. It's called the Sudden Uprising Summit, and it deals with areas in the African-American community surrounding the abortion issue. And this is something that is so very important. I wanted to have you on the program today to familiarize folks with what it is that your organization does including some of these issues that were dealt with at this summit over the weekend. I want you to set the stage for us though, set this up. Why, why is it important for, for us to place attention on how abortion affects the African-American community?
3: Yeah. And, you know, in, on today, you know, I would like to highlight another phrase from Dr. King where, you know, again, from that letter from the Birmingham jail where he insisted that, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You know, we just had the uh, the, the sanctity of human life day where we had the March for Life in Washington, D.C. And even though we had hundreds of thousands of people that gathered, a lot of the folks that gathered uh, were Catholic, a growing number of evangelicals that are there. But even when you look around, one element that's missing largely is the minority community. And the reason that I think it's important to highlight it to those uh, that may be listening to your program is because there was a time period where uh, an African-American woman was the least likely of any demographic group to get an abortion. But when abortion has become legalized back in 1973, what we did see was a shift to where – abortion became much more accepted within the African American community and i think that part of the reason is is because of a diabolical plan that was set forth by eugenicists you know decades prior to that your listeners may be familiar with planned parenthood which is the leading uh, abortion provider in our country founded by Margaret Sanger, who once wrote in a letter to Clarence Gamble of the Procter and Gamble fortune, that we don't want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. She went on to say that the minister was the one who could straighten out their more rebellious members if it should ever occur to them. And so what we were doing at this summit, Bob, was trying to bring attention to the disproportionate impact of abortion on black and brown people. Planned Parenthood has almost uh, 80%, 79% of their surgical abortion facilities are found in minority neighborhoods. And so this gathering of black doctors, African-American attorneys, um, few elected officials, activists, and preachers all came together to evaluate what we could be doing more about what we consider to be a genocide within our community.
0: Dean Nelson here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website dlinstitute.org. You are tuned into The Intersection podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Through that homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on The Intersection podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection through that website. You can have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes on a weekly basis. And you can listen to or download the current edition or previous editions of The Intersection podcast. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There are links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can get connected to video content. The Intersection podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more when you go to faithradio.org. Again, the Meeting House homepage can be accessed at meetinghouseonline.info or through the programming section at faithradio.org. Well, next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Chief Innovation and Information Officer for Wycliffe Bible Translators USA, Doug Hinnom. He discussed advances in technology that are being used in Bible translation, including Paratext for Computers and Paratext Lite, an app for smartphones. This is Doug Henham now. Paratex
4: can handle, it, 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 it's a complex um, software, but um, it, it can handle uh, basically collecting um, the verse by verse translation uh, in these different languages. It will do comparisons to other translations that have been done, look for similarities, look for um, parallels, uh, and then actually make recommendations on uh, what, what a better translation might be in that local language. Um, consultants can use it um, to really proof uh, the first drafts of uh, a translation project and use that. Uh, to kind of correct issues and stuff, and then it goes back to that translation group um, to continue to work on it. Um, it. It also is amazing because you can do things like put up parallel uh, translations. So if, let's say, for instance, uh, in Kenya, uh, the, you know, the trade language is Swahili, and you're working in a in a local language. They can put up the Swahili. They can put up a consultant can put up the Swahili. Pull up, put up the the new local language that they're working on and see side by side and critique it as they go. Um, so, uh, and then it's it's basically cloud based. So we can we can connect anywhere, anyone in the world. So we can have a consultant that's working in let's say, Kathmandu, and he can be doing work on something in Tanzania. Um, so, you know, it's it's, it's really a, a critical tool in our tool belt.
0: And, of course, when you think about Bible translation, you think about maybe going to remote people groups. What are the the barriers that you you found as far as just really being able to communicate with other people from those remote areas? Or is that less of a problem than it used to be
4: you know yeah you're right on it is becoming less of a problem because of um, uh, the globalization that's going on so most people in these individual language groups learn some of the trade languages um, the language of wider communication uh, so that they can uh, you know trade they can do commerce that type of thing so it used to be much more difficult difficult and most of those uh language groups were very isolated but honestly now with because of technology um that is that barrier is kind of being broken it was so interesting i was in tanzania a few years ago and we were right on the edge of the serengeti and that you see maasai warriors still in their traditional dress you know holding a spear in one hand standing on one foot and they have a smartphone in their other hand, and oh you know, just it—it—it it, it doesn't look like it should happen, <laughs> right, but but they're they're doing that, you know, because they're connected with other villages, you know, close by using the trade language. So that's allowed us to enter into these. Village is much, uh, I would say, much easier um, because of that, because we can go in, use the trade language. They understand enough of it that we can get started uh, much quicker uh, than we used to be able to.
0: Well, we were talking about the Paratext software. I made mention of Paratext Lite. That is the more recent Development. It is a smartphone app, and when you say Paratext Light, you don't mean that it is a well, maybe a less ambitious product. It is actually a product that's easier to use, though, from what I understand.
4: Yeah, that's correct. Um, it's it's a tool that allows uh, the nationals, the locals there, to do the drafting, and that's the that's the critical part of this. And they understand their language better than any of us. Um, so they can go in. They can do that initial drafting using that. It's they're not encumbered by all of these options and the difficulty using it. It runs on a tablet, and you know, just as I was mentioning about the smartphone, um, when you hand them a tablet, it's very easy for them to use a tablet because it's similar to a smartphone. Um, if you hand them a computer, they look at the keyboard and they're like, I don't know what to do with this, <laughs> right. and you know. Um, and so we've found that uh, the process is much easier for them, much, much faster uh, by using a tablet-based system to interface. And then, and then that data transfers to the full paratext in the back end.
0: Doug Hinnom here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website Wycliffe, W-Y-C-L-I-F-F-E dot O-R-G. Finally on this edition of The Intersection it's the director and co-writer of the film Run the Race due out in February of 2019 Chris Dowling. He discussed the concept of the movie depicting the struggles of two brothers who possess different approaches in responding to hardship. The movie has his executive producers Tim and Robbie Tebow. Here now from a recent conversation is Chris Dowling.
5: There's an original writer named Jake who's also a producer on this and um And Jake kind of had the idea and this original script he wrote. Well, I think he was still in college uh, for Run the Race. Um, You know, this was uh, maybe 12 or 13 years ago, and um, he was he just he believed in it so much and he kept pushing and pushing. And um and he he went through some ups and downs. Sold his house to continue to pay to try and get it made. And um, at some point, um, uh, uh, via Trey Brunson, and it was a, a friend of his and a friend of. Uh, the Tebow's, um, kind of got it into the Tebow's hands. And, um, it, it took a minute, but eventually 10 years down the road from when he first wrote it, um, it started to get some steam. Uh, Robbie got behind it. Tim got behind it and they started putting together a team. And then that's when I got the call to come in and have a look at the script and, um, you know, and, and kind of do my thing to it and, and put my piece on it. And then after that, they, you know, asked me to stay on and direct and, um, And, you know, again, it was, it was awesome. It was just such a, uh, it it, it can be very interesting. And, um, and the set for run the race was just, it was like a big, uh, summer camp where it was, (laughs) everyone had a great time and we just, we just loved being there, man. And loved on each other. And, um, you know, but at the same time we were dealing with some cool, heavy stuff and made it feel authentic and and real. And, um, and, you know, and and I think it it shows when you, when you see it in, in February 22nd, I mean, it's, it's cool. It's a cool piece.
0: It is a story of two brothers, and I wanted you to set this story up for us. Give us some aspects of of this particular plot.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically two brothers, um, and they just kind of life's kind of beaten up in a lot of ways. Uh, the mom has died of cancer, and they're in this small town. Um, and and when mom dies, uh, dad, who's you know been married to mom for 20 years high school sweethearts she he, he just walks out in the boys he can't handle it he can't handle being at the house he can't handle being around the family and he kind of disappears and um so these two boys are kind of left on their own and they're just trying to navigate this final year of high school and they don't want to be in this town anymore um he, the two brothers uh one brother has uh zach who's uh the football player he's um he's taken it uh very hard and kind of turned this back on god and um and his faith And then Dave, the other brother, has kind of, you know, when tragedy happens, you you know, you obviously typically go one way or the other, and and Dave's gone the other way, and Dave's kind of embraced his faith, and he's kind of found this rock. And so it's these two guys having two different worldviews at this time, and um, the only way they're going to get out is Zach is this football player who they think is going to get a scholarship. And then um, he gets in a fight, and he uh, tears his ACL, and everything kind of tumbles out again for these guys. And, um, it's about the brothers sticking together and rebuilding, um, rebuilding family, rebuilding trust, rebuilding faith, and, um, ultimately trying to make this, uh, trying to make their goal so happen, trying to get out of this small town.
0: Well, and in looking at the script and the finished product of the film, what would you say would be some of the main messages that would be communicated through it?
5: Uh, again, I think um you know I think family is 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 one um I, for me it's very much a coming of age tale, and so anything you can think of about with the coming of age of like there's the first love and there's this this romance that's budding and there's um the element of just trying to figure out this you're crazy we're in this world this world is so crazy, just trying to figure out where do I fit in and and why am I here and purpose and and I think that that's all stuff that Zach, our lead character, he's, he's dealing with. Now you put on top of that, the pressure of he's got the only way for the, him and his brother to get out of this town. And then he has that removed. I mean, he's got a, he's lost. His mom essentially lost his dad. Uh, I mean, it's just for this guy, this our one character, Zach, he's, I mean, he's in it. He's in the thick of it. And, um, and it's really about how his, his brother, he leaned on his brother to, to pull him out and kind of rechart his path.
0: Chris Dowling here on The Intersection. The film's website is runtheracemovie.com. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. When you visit that homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes each week. And you can listen to or download the current edition or previous editions of the Intersection Podcast. Plus, through that website, you will find links. To, plus, through that website, you'll find links to two blogs. One is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the meeting house. The other is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Plus, the Intersection Podcast is available through the Faith Radio app. You can learn more when you visit faithradio.org. Again, the Meeting House homepage is meetinghouseonline.info. Well, thanks for coming along for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.